So, John chapter 21, and we'll kind of go through it slowly, verses 1 through uh, 25. Now, as we come to this last chapter of John, um, something that really jumped out at me is how really personal it is. Remember that John writes his gospel after the other three gospels have been written. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke have already been written. Uh, John is written later. So he already probably knows, uh, I, I can't see how he wouldn't, he probably knows what was in those Gospels. And so as you come to the uh, last chapter of John, he's going to tell a story that's not in any of the other Gospels. Uh, most of the other Gospels end with, with Jesus and, 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 and appearing to the disciples just like John does. But John's going to tell us a story that none of the other Gospels um, tell us. So evidently, John thought, you know, this is an important story. Remember, one of the things that we talked about, John says, I wrote these things so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing you might have uh, life in his name. And so he's going to tell us a story that's going to tell us something about Jesus, but as we go through it, you'll find that it also tells us something uh, about ourselves. So we'll start with verse 1. It says this, After this... Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Now, one of the things that we notice here, and John goes out of his way to say, is that Jesus had to reveal himself to the disciples. And, and you may say, well, what does that mean? Well, remember, after his resurrection, um, he was not recognizable unless he revealed himself. You know, so if we saw that first of all with Mary Magdalene. You remember uh, on the, the first Sunday, uh, she goes, uh, he's crucified on Friday, Sunday morning, she goes to the tomb. And we saw this in chapter 20, verses 14 through 16. It said, Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus, but she didn't know it was him. So there was something about his glorified body, something about the way that he appeared. That, that people could not tell that it was him. In fact, he said to her, Woman, why are you weeping or crying, and who are you looking for? And supposing him to be the gardener. So she doesn't, she's not even thinking, man, this is, is that Jesus? I mean, she just thinks this is the gardener. Uh, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And of course, when he said her name, she turned and said to him, Rabbi, which means uh, teacher. Then she, she recognized him. We saw that later again when he appears to the disciples. Remember the disciples are in a locked room and Jesus enters chapter 20 uh, verses 19 through 20. It says on the evening of that, first, of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came, stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side. The disciples were glad. Luke adds this in verse, uh, Luke 24, 13 says, They were startled and frightened and they thought they saw a, uh, a spirit. So Luke even says when they saw him, they thought it's a spirit. They didn't realize that it was, it was Jesus. Now, I point all this out. By the way, there's another example. It's not in the Gospel of John. You remember on the road to Emmaus? Two men are walking on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus, Jesus comes up beside him, and he starts talking to them. Everybody remember that? Did they know it was Jesus? No. Did not know it was Him. Did not know till later that it was Him. So there was something about His glorified body that, that they couldn't recognize that. Now, I point out that because it's really the same thing is still true today. No man or woman 
can say that Jesus is Lord except the Spirit of God within them declares it to be so. We cannot know who Christ really is. We can't see Him for who He is, His beauty, His majesty, that He's the Son of God, unless the Spirit reveals it to us. Uh, look at 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4. Paul writes and says, Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Does everybody see what that says? It says the enemy has blinded unbelievers. So if you're an unbeliever, you are blind. You cannot see the glory of Jesus Christ. You cannot see who He really is. You might see Him as a man. You might see Him as a good teacher. You might see Him even as a prophet. But you'll never see Him as the Son of God. You just can't do it because your mind is, is blinded. In fact, for that to happen, this has to happen. 2 Corinthians uh, 4, 5-6, through 6, Paul says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Which means if you see Jesus for who He is, that, that means God Himself, through the Holy Spirit, has shown a light in your heart. He has unblinded you. He has unveiled your eyes so that you can see Jesus for who He is. So just as Jesus had to show Himself to Mary and the disciples and the two men on the road to Emmaus as an act of His will, that's exactly the way it's been ever since. If we are to see Jesus, He has to make the first move. He is the deciding factor. None of us will ever know Him until He chooses to reveal Himself to us. That's why the Bible says, by the way, Romans 3, 10-11, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. You know, we, we hear from time to time people say, you know, that people are searching for God, they're searching uh, for truth, but that's, not, that's just not what the Bible says. People are searching for pleasure, they're searching for happiness, they're searching for peace, they're searching for financial stability, they're searching for a lot of things. And by the way, if, if they can get God with all those things, then okay. But they're not just searching for God. Okay, The Bible tells us that clearly. God has to come in and do something to reveal Himself uh, to us. By the way, that's why the Bible also says Romans, that's not Romans, I've got to quit doing this. Um, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus came into the world to do what? To seek us out. He's looking for those that are lost. He's the seeker, not us, right? He finds us, we don't find Him. It's always a self-disclosure on God's part that reveals Christ not owing in any part to man. Now, let's look at verse 1 again. Uh, note, it says this, After this, Jesus revealed Himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and He revealed Himself in this way. Now, where are they? They're by the Sea of Tiberias. By the way, that is the Sea of Galilee. Okay, it's up, up north. We'll see that here in just a second. Now, this is very interesting because of something we find in Matthew. In Matthew, it says this, Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. So at some excuse me, at some point in Matthew, now John doesn't tell us this, but Matthew says that Jesus tells them, go to the mountain in Galilee and wait for me. Everybody with me? Are they on the mountain? No, they're not. 
and not on the mountain. Now that's that's important. See, at some point Jesus said, "Go to this mountain." So there, there, here's Jerusalem down here. Here's Nazareth, and here's the Sea of Tiberias or the Lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee. It's all the same thing. He tells them to go to the mountain and wait for me, but they're not on the mountain. So where are they again? They're down by the they're down by the sea. So we have to ask the question: What are they doing there? Why aren't they on the mountain where they're supposed to be? What are they doing down on the sea? Now, it's hard to know exactly, but I want to try this morning to reconstruct their motives as best we can. So let's assume that they went to the mountain and they waited for a while. Maybe they waited for uh, a few days. Now remember, they don't yet have the Holy Spirit within them, do they? We've talked about this before. They... They will not receive the Holy Spirit until the day of Pentecost, right? So they do not have the Holy Spirit in them. So in a sense, they don't have the Holy Spirit in them, and Jesus ain't around. He's coming, but He's not there yet. So let's just say they go up on this mountain, and they're up there for a few days. And they're, they're really, at this point, they're a little bit lost, right? They don't really know what's going to happen. Maybe they become impatient. Maybe they've got time to think over their failures. They, they, they're sitting up there. And, uh, and, and maybe even though they saw Jesus a few days ago, He's not here today. And so they get a little, maybe their faith is running a little low. By the way, isn't that just like us? God can do something great for us, and a week later we don't know where He is. What happened to Him? Ain't we, aren't we that way? Our, our, we can be up here and down here within a matter of days, just depending on our circumstances. And their circumstances has changed, right? Jesus was with them. He says, go to the mountain and wait. They get up on the mountain. He don't come the first day, the second day, the third day, however many days it is. And so they begin to think, you know what? Maybe we need to take care of ourselves. Maybe we need to do this on our own. And so Peter, being the leader that he is, decides it's time to do something. And by the way, he is a dynamic leader. When Peter says, let's do it, they say, well, let's go. Okay, so let's look at verses 2 through 3. Simon Peter... Thomas called the twin, this is Doubting Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee who are James and John, and two of his other disciples, which is probably Philip and Andrew, because they're always in that group, even though it doesn't mention them. They're all together. And Simon, Simon Peter says to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, and that night they fished all night, and they caught what? They caught absolutely nothing. Now, we don't know their motives. Maybe they just needed a diversion, something to do, but I don't think so. Okay. First of all, keep in mind, what did they do for a living? They fished. This isn't like you just maybe it's not like they're farmers and they're up on the mountain saying, you know what, I I'm bored. Let's go fishing. Just something to do. No. You understand they're returning to what they did for a living. They're returning to what gave them sustenance, um, what, what supported themselves before they met Jesus. So the fact that they returned to their livelihood, the one thing they knew how to do, makes me think that they were looking once again to be self-sufficient. In other words, they're sitting up there, the Lord isn't around, we don't know what's going to happen, we, need, we, need, we got families to support, we need to put food on the table. We got to put clothes on their back. We've got to take care of ourselves. And so Peter says, let's go fishing. By the way, if they were just going to fish for a meal, would they have fished all night? 
Probably not. They didn't catch anything. So the point is, the fact that they fished all night tells me they were looking more, it was more than a diversion. It was more than we just need to get a few fish for supper. They were looking to make a haul of fish that they could go and sell and somehow or another. So they were returning to what sustained them. Now again, I point this out because this is classic. This is a classic example of human nature, of, of self-direction, of self-will, um, of self-effort. We, we always have a tendency to revert to our beginnings, to go back to what we know. Uh, it's just, that's just who we are. Um, they, they immediately, after just a few days, become dependent upon themselves again, uh, going back to what they knew. And why? Because they couldn't see Jesus, right? Because he, was, he wasn't there physically with them, and for a few days, they're thinking, well, you know, our minds all work the same. Well, what happened to him? What, what, you know, he's going to be here tomorrow? What if he don't come tomorrow? I mean, we just immediately, we better go fishing. <laughs> I mean, we always go back. Um, so they could trust him as long as he was there and they could see. But as soon as he wasn't, their faith would immediately begin to go downhill. By the way, if you don't know, if you ever think for one second, that I could make this on my own without the Spirit of God, you are sadly mistaken. The only thing that keeps you cranking, that keeps you moving from day to day to day is the Spirit of God within you. That's the only thing. The only reason you're here from week to week is because you have the Spirit of God inside of you. If you don't, you don't, you can keep it up for a while, but eventually... You're going to be gone. That's why we see it all over and over in this church. People come down, make a profession of faith, and it's not real. They don't have the Spirit of God in them. They're looking to get out of a problem. That They want a better life. And so they're, they're one of those people, they're not looking for God. They're looking for peace. They're looking for happiness. They're looking for these things. If, if, if God's the only way to get there, but that's not who they want. And so they come in, they want all those things. They, they make a profession of faith, but it's not real. And so what happens is they're here week after week for a while, but eventually, because they don't have the Spirit of God, they just drift away, right? They're not here anymore. The reason that I'm here today, and I'll be here next week and the week after, is because I have the Spirit of God inside of me. He's driving me. He's pushing me. He's changing me. Without Him, we'd every one of us be just like those guys. Let's go fishing. Let's go back to what we were doing. Okay, so don't ever think we don't need the Spirit of God because we would be lost without Him. Now let's make sure we understand something here real quickly. Fishing is not a sin. Thank the Lord for that because I love to fish. Hard work is not a sin. Earning a living by fishing is not a sin. Those are all good things unless it's not what God has called you to do. Unless it's disobedience. See, God has not called them to go back fishing, has He? In fact, from very day one, what did he say? Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, not fishers of fish. See, they went back to fishing for fish. He says, no, it's not what I called you to do. I called you to be fishers of men. In fact, he's going to drive that point home here in just a few minutes. So what they were doing is not sinful, but the fact was that they're, what, it was sinful because they, they're walking now in disobedience. It's not what God has called them to do. Same thing for us. We can all do good things, but the bad, they become bad when it's done in self-effort and self-will and self-direction and not in God's plan. So they go fishing. They return to their, 
livelihood and they catch absolutely nothing. So let's look at verse 4. Now just as day was breaking, so they literally fished all night and right at dawn they look up on the shore. It says just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet, here we go again. Did they know him? Nope. Now they had already seen him at least a couple of times. But they still can't recognize him. Okay, they do not know that it's him. And again, he has to reveal himself to them. So let's see how he does it. Verse 5. Jesus calls out to them and says, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him. Now again, they don't know who he is. Who is this guy on the beach? We don't know. And they answered him, uh, no. So first, Jesus confronts them with a question. Do you got any food? In other words, how'd that work out for you last night? You know, you went back to your livelihood. How'd that work out? Did you catch anything? Got any food for breakfast? You know, I mean, they got to be hungry, right? They fished all night long. And, um, and so they are forced to say no and admit their failure. Again, this is how Jesus always operates. He's going to show them, by the way, that the post-resurrected Christ is going to provide just like he did pre-resurrection. Right? Jesus always took care of them. Okay? Um, but he wants them to first understand that they cannot provide for themselves. See, they provide, they figured they'd return to their livelihood and just support themselves. But I can guarantee you that night, God rerouted every <laughs> There wasn't a fish within 10 miles of them boys. Right? I mean, I mean, God just reroutes them. So they couldn't even catch one. They couldn't even hit one on the head with a lead line and, and kill it. Um, so that's how he does. Before he ever supplies, he's going to make sure you learn the lesson that you cannot do it. That's just how he does it, right? Um, before he ever comes in to fill the supply, he makes sure that you're conscious of your emptiness. Before he ever gives you strength, he's going to make sure you recognize your weakness. So he says to them, hey guys, you're not catching anything, are you? And they, of course, have to admit their failure. Now what's, what's the lesson here for us? Well, Colossians 2.6 says this, Therefore, just as you receive Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. In other words, just as you received Him, that is how you are to walk in Him, right? How did we receive Him? By faith, through grace. How do we walk? By faith. Paul, uh, we, it says that. We walk by faith, not by sight, right? See, we weren't saved by self-effort, right? That's not how we were saved. If we received Him by faith, we live by faith. If we received Him by faith, we walk by faith, not by self-effort. You can't get yourself in, you can't keep yourself in, and you can't make yourself grow while you're in it. He does all of that. It's just through faith. Okay, It's all Him. So what's required of us? Look at verses 4 through 6. So He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. Our... It, 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 nothing changes here. This is a nice little story, but it just kind of basically symbolizes our life. Our, what we're supposed to do is walk in faith and obey. That's it. He, everything else is up to Him. The supply, give us what we need, our direction, where we're going. He'll take care of all that. We are only to obey. And so He tells them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. They cast it, and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. So he, this is really interesting. Here we are at the end of his ministry, right? He, it's not too many days hence he's going to be ascending into heaven. 
And he chooses to reveal himself to them by reenacting something that happened three years earlier. Okay, so this, let's go back to Luke. We'll read verses Luke, uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 11. This is very early in his ministry. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. By the way, same exact place. Okay, maybe not the same exact spot, but he's right there by the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And getting into the one of the boats, which was Simon's, this was Peter's boat. So this is very early before he calls him. He's teaching one day, and he goes down to the lake, and the people are just pressing in on him. And he needs to get away from them so he can teach to them. So he looks over, and he sees Peter. He wasn't called Peter yet. He was still called Simon. And Simon, he's fished all night long, and he's washing his boat. And Jesus says, hey, can I borrow your boat for a little bit? So he gets into the boat, um, and he asks him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon said, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said, Do not be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now this is amazing, because this happened, this is how they got called, Right? very early on and here we are three years later and he does the exact same thing let down your net on the right side and they after fishing all night just like before he says do this they do it they haul it in again right you can just see can you imagine them they don't know who this guy is up on shore and he tells them to do that now what do you think when that happens do they do they know now who it is Absolutely they do. It's an exact reenactment of what happened three years earlier. Now John recognizes this immediately. And he knows there's only one man who can do that. Look at verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. Not because he recognized him visually. He said, now, you know, that's, that's what he does. He did it before. He just did it again. It's him. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped to work and he threw himself into the see now the lesson here is obvious he was showing them and us that you can fish all night you can go do your own thing you can go your own way and you'll never get what you need you just never you'll get by that there your whole life will just be getting by Um, but listen to him obey his word and you'll have everything you need okay jesus could have just you know he could have just said boys come up here have i not he could have just said i'll provide but he didn't just say it he what? He demonstrated it, right? In a way that they could know that it was truly him. And, he, and in doing so, he, give them, he gave them and us a classic illustration. Now, we started with disobedience, right? They're supposed to be up on a mountain. They're out on the sea, fishing, going back to what they were doing. They're walking in disobedience. And then Jesus comes. And so look what happens. And, and, I, and this is such a beautiful part of the story. Verses 8 through 14. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land but about a hundred yards out 
And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, by the way, notice when they get up there, he's already got fish and bread. He didn't need them to catch fish. He already had it. Say, that was just a lesson for them. I'm here, guys. It's me. Why why are y'all worrying so much? I'll provide. So he comes up, they come to shore, they've got a, he's already got a fire there, he's already got fish cooking on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although, although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And in Old King James it says, come and dine. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. One of the things you see here is you don't see any rebuke. You don't see any judgment. You don't see any chastisement. You just see, come eat with me. You just, and that, that's just the way he is. You know, I, 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 just, I love that part of the story because he could have so easily... Say what is wrong? What is wrong with y'all? You know, this is the eleven I chose, and y'all are pitiful. You know, but he doesn't do that. He just says, "Come and die." You know, come and come and eat. And don't miss the lesson here because the pattern is complete: carnal, fleshly self-effort, responding to your own will, your own direction, your own sustenance, is always characterized by disobedience, and it's always going to end in failure and loss of fellowship with the Lord. But spiritual effort characterized by obedience will always produce success and intimate fellowship with Christ. Just obey and do what he says. That's all we've ever been asked to to do. Now, at this point, as we've already pointed out, we're saved through faith in Christ. You persevere and continue in the Christian life because of your faith in Christ. So at the end of the day, one of the things we see out of here is what is singularly most important in your life and in my life is our relationship with Jesus Christ. That, I just cannot stress that enough. It's not your relationship to your church. It's not your relationship to your Bible study class. I'm glad that you're faithful, but that's not foundationally important. It is important, by the way, that we study and show ourselves to prove, but that's not foundational. Um, it's not your relationship to some doctrine or theology that you're that you're proud of, or it's not even your relationship to your, to your Christian friends. The question is, what is your relationship to Jesus Christ? That is, there's nothing more important than that. Are you like the Apostle Paul that prays with every part of your being that I may know Him and the fellowship and the power of His suffering and being made conformable unto His death? Is that our relationship? Or has our relationship been reduced to activities and, 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 and our spirituality to some... See, I'm afraid for too many Christians, our relationship with Christ is, did I read my Bible this morning? Did I go to church on Sunday? Did I make it Wednesday night? Well, I've been good this week. I've been faith. It's just about activities. But all, and by the way, those things can all, are obviously all important. But foundationally, what is your relationship to Him? Do you know Him? Do you love Him? Do you want to be like Him? Do you want to obey Him? You know, that's what it all comes, comes down to. We, we cannot fool ourselves. No matter what kind of Christian activities you engage in, no matter what kind of religious things you do, no matter 
what kind of spiritual activities. In the end, it all comes down to your personal relationship to Christ. There's a, there's a scripture, I should have put it in here. There's Jesus tells about the last day and there's a judgment and they're going to stand before Him and say, Lord, didn't we, what, heal the sick in Your name? Didn't we cast out demons in Your name? And what's He going to say? I didn't know You. I never had a relationship with You. How they did those things, I got no clue. But He said, I never knew You. We didn't have a relationship. See, that's, everything starts from there. And that's why here in John, I think, and I want to end with this today, that's where we have to reassess ourselves as we come to the end of John. What is our, forget the, yeah, I'm in the Bible study, I've been here 18 months, I went through all of John, boy, I'm spiritual. No, what is your relationship to Jesus? Because that is your Christian life. At the end of the day, that is your Christian life. Listen, by the way, we're all different. Some of us have sat, been saved longer and we've sat under teaching. We've got more, some have more knowledge of the Scripture. Some have less knowledge. Some have more experience in church. Some have less experience. Um, some of you have more experience serving the Lord uh, and using spiritual gifts. Some of you don't even know what your spiritual gift is. We're all at different places. But at the end of the day, every one of us, the issue is intensely personal. What is my relationship? It's exact, that question for all of us is exactly the same doesn't matter if I've been saved 40 years or if I've been saved 4 minutes. What is my relationship to, to Jesus Christ? Now, I bring this up because of the way that John chooses to close out his gospel. What he's going to do is he's going to tell us a story, a very personal story, that none of the other gospels tell. Okay, And it's not only simple and beautiful, it speaks volumes about a person's personal relationship with Christ. And this, this is a story about Peter. Now, let's, let's back up for a second. We know Peter has spent three years with the Lord, has he not? Um, and he certainly, did he believe in Jesus? Absolutely he did. He, in fact, he not only believed in him, he knew he was the Messiah. You remember that? He says, who do people say? He asked the disciples one day, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist, uh, reincarnated or raised from the dead. Um, and then he said to them, who do you say that I am? See, it all comes down to that. Who do you? Not, not them. Who do you think I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus said, and Peter said, you, you didn't come to this yourself. How did you? And this goes back to the revealing, right? How do you know that? What, what did Jesus say? The Spirit of God has revealed it to you. Right? That's the only way you would know that. So he knew, not only believed in Jesus, he knew he was the Son of God. He knew he was the Messiah. He understood he had miraculous power. He knew there was no one like him. By the way, that's nothing special. Even demons believe that. You got that? The demons know he's the Messiah. The demons know he's the Son of God. The demons believe he has miraculous... The demons believe all that stuff. That's nothing special. Peter believed all that. He, he certainly understood Christ as much as any man could understand Christ. And he wasn't really intimidated by it either. In fact, if anything, he was overconfident in his spirituality, wasn't he? Um, but now, don't forget, he is a true Christian. He is a true believer. Yes, he will fail. But he has been called to be an apostle. He was chosen personally by the Lord Jesus, not only as one of the twelve but he was one of the inner three. Okay, He was one of the inner circle that was chosen by Jesus. In fact, 
He is the leader of the twelve. In fact, any list you see of him, he's always at the top. They always list him first because he was just a natural-born uh, leader. And look at some of the things he did. He walked on water. He, he spoke profound revelation. Uh, he defended Christ in the garden. If you can't read the Gospels without thinking, seeing Peter, 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 Peter. But he also knew what it was to be the very model of weakness. Denying. Whatever he did, he did it 100%, didn't he? When he went after Christ, he, he was the first one out of the boat. He was the first one to draw his sword. He was the first one to speak. But when he failed him, he failed spectacularly. And he didn't just run and hide, he cursed. Remember? If, I mean, if he's, if he's going to do it, he went all the way, one way or, or another. In other words, he knew greatness in his Christian walk and he knew failure. He had experienced the highs and he experienced the lows. But as we come to, the, to the, this point in his life, the end of John's Gospel, probably what do you think his relationship with Christ was like? At this point, as we come to this point in the story, what do you think is what do you think is going on? Is he on a high? Is he on a low? Where's he at? He had abandoned him. He had abandoned him. But 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 Jesus had also appeared back to him, right? So he knew Jesus was alive. So I don't think he was as low as he had been, right? But he also wasn't as high as he had been. He was probably somewhere in between. Man, I'm so grateful Jesus is alive. I'm so grateful. But yet I failed him. He, he's he's in that. I you know I'll ne- probably if if it was me I'd be thinking I'd be so happy that Christ was alive, so happy I'd seen him. But I'd be probably be held back by my failures. See, once you fail bad, that kind of tends to hold you back because you go to the next time and it's always in the back of your mind: Am I going to fail again? You're, you're never as good as you should be because that that failure, that past failure, is always holding you holding you holding you back and you just you're just worried about it jesus though doesn't want him being held back by that past failure by the way he doesn't want us being held back by those and so he's going to come and there's a very personal story here at the end and what and it's all about peter and it's all about restoring peter let's look at verses 15 through 17 when they had finished breakfast jesus said to simon peter simon son of john do you love me more than these And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Well, then feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Well, tend my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now this is a really interesting piece of scripture. In fact, I could probably teach a whole hour on it, but, I, but I'm not going to do that. Here's a question. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Who is these? Or what is these? What's he saying? Huh? Okay. Do you love me more than the rest of these disciples? Anybody? Anything else? Okay. It's an interesting thing. There are really two options here, by the way. And we don't know what he's saying. First, some think Jesus is referring to these fish, these nets, these boats. In other words, they're standing there and they've just finished the breakfast. There's this 153 fish laid out there. 
the boats are right there. Jesus could be saying, Simon, you, you just went back when I told you to meet me on the mountain. You went back to your livelihood. Do you love me more than this? Do you love me more than you love your boats and your and your fish and your nets and the thing? Do you love me more than these? Huh? Worldly things. Um, by the way, he could be even saying, do you love me more than you love your brothers? Right? Do you love me more than these? He's saying, do you love me more than you love them? Okay? Uh, again, the things that Peter seems to always fall back on. Do you love me more than you love these things, these people, the worldly things? Um, the more common interpretation is that Jesus is referring to these other men, the disciples that are with Him. In Matthew 26, Peter makes a statement. Um, he says this, Though they all, remember how confident he was? He says, Though all these other men fall away, I'll never fall away. In other words, he was stating right there, They may abandon you, but I love you more than that. I'm never going to fall away. See? So, in other words, at one time he declared that his love and commitment was greater than those other men. And so Jesus may be referring back to this saying, do you really love me more than these men love me? So you see the two options here? He's saying, do you love me more than you love these things? Or he could be saying, do you love me more than these men love me? Okay, I don't know, by the way. It could go either way. Um, it's a really interesting thing that I want to get through this. Regardless of which interpretation you use, the point is that Jesus is forcing Peter to look at his love. Right? That's the point. So don't miss that. Um, because this is our bottom line characteristic of a relationship with Christ. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than you love your father? Do you love me more than you love your mother? Do you love, do you put me ahead of your family, your livelihood? Your, do you love me more than these? Um, and the answer to that question is where our relationship to Christ really begins. Now, this is interesting. Look how many times the word love is used. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. Now, in English, we only have one word for love. And that is love. Man, y'all are smart. I'm, 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 y'all have learned so much. But the Greeks has four words for love. Two of them are not used in the Bible uh, really at all, and that is eros and storge. Um, uh, eros is passionate or sexual love. Eros is the source of the English word erotic, and so there's a Greek word eros. The word storge is, an, is like an affectionate love that you would have for a child or a family member. Uh, in other words, it's, not, it's, just nat- it's a love that's naturally occurring. When you have that baby born or that grandchild born or whatever, that, you, you, that love is called storage. Everybody with me? Because there's no choice in it. You just love them. You don't even know where it comes from. It's just, it's just there. There are two words that are used over and over in the Bible. One is agape. And agape is sacrificial love. This is the most noblest kind of, of love. By the way, this love is not a feeling. Agape love. See, God loves us with an agape love. Jesus was agape love personified. We're to love one another with agape love. In fact, we are even to love our enemies with agape love. This is a a choice that you make. I'm going to love you. I'm going to put what you need ahead of what I need. 
what you want ahead of what I want. It's a choice. It's a sacrifice. Everybody with me? That's agape love. The other one is called filio, and it refers to brotherly love and is most often exhibited in a close, a close friendship. In other words, I might meet Ron, and I don't even know Ron. So how can I have... But over time, we become very close friends, and we develop a filio love. Everybody see that, the difference? So, so the Greek had four different types of words um, that they used, but, but the English only has one. So when you read that in English, it says, do you love me? Well, you know I love you. Do you love me? You know I love you. But when you read it in Greek, it's different. In Greek, there's different words. It says this, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you love me sacrificially more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you like a brother. Everybody see the difference? He says, Lord, you know I love you like a brother. And he said to them, Well, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you love me with a sacrificial love? He said, yes, Lord. You know I love you like a brother. And he said to him a third time, Simon, now watch this, he switches. Jesus said, Simon, do you love me like a brother? And Simon Peter was grieved. Now watch this, he was grieved because he said to him this third time, do you love me like a brother? So if you read that in the Greek, he wasn't grieved because he said it three times. He was grieved because he questioned the type of love that he had. He said, I love you like a brother. I love you like a brother. And Jesus said, Simon, do you really love me like a brother? And it says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me like a brother? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you like a brother. And he said to him, feed my, feed my sheep. Now, we could spend a lot of time on that passage, right, and trying to, to figure out what all that means and all that. But there's a specific point I want to take from it this morning. Obviously, by the way, Jesus asked Peter three times in reference to the three times that Peter denied him. Okay, that's pretty obvious, right? You denied me three times, now I'm going to let you affirm your love for me three times. Because he wants to drive a couple things home to Peter and to us. Number one, love without obedience is just sentiment. Let me say that again. Love without obedience is just sentiment. It's just emotion. Listen, there's no one more passionate about Christ than Peter. There was no one that loved Jesus more than Peter. But I don't care how, what you feel as far as emotion goes. I, I, don't, I don't care how many tears you might shed. I don't care if we go over there today and they play the old rugged cross and you get all weepy-eyed. Certain songs get us all weepy and emotional. That's not the issue. The issue is always, if you love Him, you obey Him. It's as simple as that. Do you love me? Then obey my word. Do you love me? Tend my sheep. Don't go back to your livelihood. Don't go back to the things that you always depended on. Do what I asked you to do. Do what I called you to do, which was become a fisher of men. Love fails when you disobey, plain and simple, because that's always the test. That's, what, that's the point that Jesus is driving home to Peter. Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Then obey my word. Obey what I called you to do from the very beginning. And that was to be a fisher of men. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. The test of love is not your emotion. The test of your love for Christ is whether the priorities of your life are spiritual or physical. Are they heavenly or are they earthly? Are they self or are they 
are they self-will or are they God's will? That's the test of your love for Christ. What are your priorities in your life? It's not a hard test. Most of us know what our priorities are. Number two, not only is love always characterized by obedience, work or the obedience is compelled by love. 2 Corinthians 5.14 in New Living Translation, Paul says this, Christ's love controls us. In, in, in the, uh, I think in the uh, New King James it says compels us. It's His love that drives us. It's His love that controls us. We're not compelled by legalism, by duty, by the fact that we have to do it. See, do you love me? If you love Him, you'll obey. It's as simple as that. Real love is always um, uh, characterized by obedience. Now, let's finish up. What is the cost of this love for Peter? Well, for him, it would be his life. Uh, 21, 18 through 19. Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and you walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Uh, all we know, we don't have it in the Bible. From what we know, Peter was crucified upside down. So at some point in his life, they nailed him to a cross and they carried him where he did not want to go. And that's how he, that's how he died. His love for Christ, his obedience to Christ, going out and preaching the gospel would eventually result in his death. But after this, he said to him, follow me. Now this is an odd thing, by the way. We know, of course, that Jesus wants Peter to follow him in a general sense. He wants us all to follow him, right? But here, evidently, Jesus actually got up and moved away and said, follow me. Because watch what happens in verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Everybody see what just happened? So evidently, Peter and Jesus actually get up and begin to move away. And Peter turns around and sees John following them. Okay? And the, so that's John. He says, So Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? Now keep in mind that Peter has just been told, Son, you're going to die. You're going to die in a way that you don't want to die. I mean, we all know we're going to die. But he's just been prophesied over. You're going to die in a way that you, you don't want to die. People are going to take you where you don't want to go. Um, with that, in, that's on his mind, I'm sure. And he turns around and he sees John. So he says this. When Peter saw him, verse 21, he said, Lord, what about that man? How's he going to die? What's going to happen to him? Now, I love Jesus' answer. Jesus said to him in verse 22, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Which is another way of saying politely, that's none of your business. By the way, which is a very graphic demonstration of a component of following Jesus. And that is, don't try to evaluate and discern your own worthiness or your own faithfulness or your own role by comparing yourself to somebody else. We do that worse than anybody I know. We're always looking at, man, he's doing more than me. She's a better, she's more spiritual than me. And, and he's basically saying, look, don't wor- you follow me. You know, how, I mean, sometimes, how many of y'all sometimes feel guilty about being, you read something and somebody in another country trying to follow Christ, they're being persecuted, and you feel guilty because you never had to do it. We all do. But listen, I had no choice being born here. 
right? I, I wasn't, I didn't ask to be born here. I, I can only do what he's asked me to do where he's put me, and that's follow me here, <clears throat> you know? And so again, don't compare yourself, <coughs> excuse me, to anybody else. Now, just as people, by the way, if you think misinterpreting scripture is something that just happens today, it happened back then. Um, Look at what John says in verse 23. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that John was not to die. Yet Jesus didn't say he was not going to die, but if, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? So back then the saying spread that John was never going to die. And that was not what Jesus, that's not what Jesus said. So they had misinterpreted scripture even back then. Finally, John closes with these words. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. That's always intrigued me, right? Just think of all the stuff that he did that we don't know about. Think of all the things he said or the things that he did. I mean, you know, they walked on the road every day for three years. They talked continuously. You just imagine all the things that he, the stories he told, the things that he said, the things that he did that were not written down. But the fact is, and please always remember this, through, because of the Holy Spirit, what was written down was exactly what God wanted to be written down. Don't focus on what was left out. By the way, if you go back, have you ever read, any of y'all ever read the Gospel of Thomas? How about the Gospel of Judas? And read any of those? Did you know there was a Gospel of Thomas? See, what those are, those are after, after a few years had gone by, you start seeing these books written, and these books are telling about all those things that they didn't write down, they're going to write them down. And so you start getting all this stuff. Jesus did this, and Jesus did that. And, and, and so all this stuff started to kind of flourish, but they were all discounted, um, by the way. And, and, and some of them are, if you ever get a chance to go look at them, you can read them online. They're, they're pretty interesting. There's one, stories where Jesus sees a dead pigeon, and he breathes on him, and the pigeon comes back to life. And you know, there's another one where some kid called him a name, and Jesus looked at him, and the kid just falls dead. I mean, it's just crazy, crazy stories out there. Keep in mind, what is written down in these four Gospels is exactly what God, the Holy Spirit, they wanted written down. Um, as he stated earlier, he wrote these things, verse 31 in chapter 20, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have faith in his name. The fact is, is there is exactly enough information given in that one Gospel so that you can believe that Jesus is the Christ. You, didn't know, you don't need anything else. Okay? The question is this. Do I believe? And that's where I want to end up. We could not close out our study of John with asking ourselves that question. Do I believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Do I believe that he died on the cross? Do I really believe down deep in my heart that he rose from the dead? And by the way, if you really believe, then that second question is, is applicable. Is my belief reflected in the way I live my life? If you really believe, really believe, then it has to be reflected in your uh, obedience. Do I love the Lord Jesus Christ? Is He the joy of my heart? Is He first and foremost in my life? Is my pleasure in His presence? Is it demonstrated by the time that I spend in His Word and, and in prayer? Do I love Him more than my hobbies, my career, my profession, my family? 
Is he first in my, in my life? And is my love shown for, for him shown by my obedience to his word? Do I obey even when it hurts me to obey? And by the way, sometimes it hurts to obey. See, the answers to those questions define your relationship with Jesus. And as I said earlier, in the end, that's what matters. Not how many Sunday school classes you teach, how long you've taught it, how many church services you've been to, none of that. In the end, did, do, who do you say that I am? Do you really um, believe? So with that, we conclude our study of John. Now, one week will go by and I will not tell you what's coming next, but I already know and I've already got started on it. It's going to be really good. And that's it. I, I'm not going to tell you. You get one week and you uh, look forward. Let's, let's pray real quick. Father, thank you for this day. We thank you for the Gospel of John. We thank you what a, what a beautiful Gospel it was. I, I pray, Lord, that the lessons that we learned in it, the scriptures that we read and studied over these past 18 months will just be driven home in our hearts. And Father, just become a part of, of who we are, that we'll walk in them day by day, by faith, um, obeying your word, Lord Jesus. And, and so that we pray that 20 years from now, 30 years from now, if we're still here, Lord, that this gospel of John that we spent these last 18 months studying will even then be making a difference in our life. We love you. And we thank you for all you do and all you have done in Jesus' name. Thank you all. Drop in pay in terms of he said, I don't know if God's doing this or 
or what. So he said, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, because I got the house paid off and, right. and stuff like that, you know, but, you know, I haven't had a problem with money. You've been able to do what you need to yeah. do or want yeah. to do, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's, that's my goal and my aim is that, uh, you know, number one, be debt free. Yeah. So, yeah, we paid off our house last yeah, uh, so December. Make sure you got. This is your allowance for today. Make sure you got minimum going out. Yeah. And. Uh, Oh, I feel bright. <laughs>